We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A new PBS documentary looks at the impact of last year's Atlanta spa murders on the broader Asian-American community and the family members of the victims. Six of the eight killed were Asian women. That was my mother. I think I pulled over and just broke down in that moment. This hour, we'll meet the children of Asian-Americans killed at the height of the pandemic, learn the status of their fights for justice, and why community advocates are worried about another wave of anti-Asian attacks. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. On March 16th, 2021, Eight people were killed by a gunman who targeted Asian spas in the Atlanta area. Among them was young A.U. I remember calling the sheriff's office, trying to identify the women. I don't think some of them believed that it was my mother when I was calling. They were like, yeah, these are Asian women. And I'm like, yes, my mother's Asian. That's the voice of Robert Peterson, Young AU's son, who's featured in a new PBS documentary called Rising Against Asian Hate, One Day in March. And Robert Peterson joins me now. Robert, thanks so much for coming on Forum today. I can't thank you enough. No, thank you so much, Mina, for having me. And I'm so sorry uh, for all that you've had to endure. It's been 19 months, I think, almost to the day of Atlanta, March 16th. And I just wanted to start by asking how, how you're doing. Uh, we're doing as best as we can. Again, I am um, constantly surrounded by good friends, good family, and a larger community. But uh, it has also been difficult. Um, and it has also been um, stressful. And it's not a day that it goes by that I'm not reminded of my mother. Tell us about your mother. I understand she was 63 years old um, and that... Uh, she had a dog and cat that she would come and feed every every couple of days when she got a break from working at Aromatherapy Spa. What else can you tell us about her? Uh, yes, I still have her cat now and her best friend <laughs> as her dog. Uh, initially, I thought I was allergic to cats, but I guess my body adapted and now the cat is my new best friend. But um, my mother was a great woman. She, again, she was 63 upon her death. She had uh, married my father in Korea in the military and moved here, had me in Georgia. Um, And she was just a really sweet woman. She was funny with a dry sense of humor. Um, She loved to vote and to be an American citizen. Um, She loved her family like most mothers. She was a grandmother um, and she enjoyed cooking and sharing Korean culture. Um, But most of all, I guess for me, she was my mother. Yeah. 
can you take us back to the to the day when you you were searching for your mom when you didn't hear from her on March 16th? We heard a little cut in the introduction that suggested that it was really hard to get people to give you information about her. Why was that? Uh, you know, as I think back to it now, um, over time, I think uh, I try to give the benefit of the doubt. It was a lot going on that night. Um, a lot was happening at once and they were trying to put together the story. But uh, no, I, I vividly remember um, calling, trying to get more information about these families, about these women, who they were, um, because my brother had been contacting me, um, telling me he had a funny feeling and mom always responds to her text messages. And so when we couldn't um, get a response from her. And then we found out as the next day progressed that these were Asian women, that the four in Atlanta were specifically Korean women, I became more concerned. And uh, at that time, I knew of the locations of these uh, spas and I live in Atlanta. So at that time, I drove to each of these locations uh, looking for my mother's vehicle. Um, and in addition to that, I started to call around. I called the sheriff's department, the police department, and yes, I think I was met with resistance. Um, it was more or less, I guess, the affliction of my voice or me telling me that I was looking for my mother. And it was it was almost like many of them were very dismissive, like, oh, these are Asian women, so these aren't American women, or these are Amer Asian women and you don't sound Asian. So um, I'm certain that this is not your mother. And um, so I felt even in that moment of trauma and pain, I had to prove again that I was Korean or that this was my mother, or that even if this wasn't my mother, someone had lost their life that night. Um, and then again, I eventually came to my mother's house and my mother's best friend had left a note on the door. And at that time she had not confirmed that it was my mother, but people in the Korean community were talking. And uh, my mother usually brings her dog to work uh, since she stays for so long and she has a small dog. And the dog was left at the spa and another person had her dog. And they kept saying that that was Ai Young's mother who was killed at the door. And that's when I guess they knew it was my mother. It is uh, so hard to relive and retell these stories. I'm wondering why you were willing to do that. What made you decide to be part of uh, this documentary, given that that is what it would require, and even coming on today? Um, well, one, I just thank PBS and um, TT and Gina, um, because it was their personality, their warmth, and their vulnerability with me that allowed me to trust the media, uh, to trust journalists, and to trust them with our story. It was also that they were Asian American women, because as a Black man, I also know the importance of having us tell our own stories. And um, and it'll be told with cultural sensitivity and knowingness of how we operate. And so that was important to me. But then the larger picture was, I think I knew immediately uh, from the response of others in the community that this was more than my mother and the other seventh victims, that this seemed to be an apex of what was happening to the AAPI community. This was about to be a symbol of the microaggressions that we as a community have felt throughout the, the months prior and the years that we've been here. 
And so I want to make sure that my mother's story and the other stories are never forgotten. And primarily they're not forgotten because this is a racially and gender-based motivated crime. And so I want to make sure that we don't get lost in the other mass shootings that occur that are also heartbreaking. But I also want to make sure I speak up for my mother and the other victims who may be reluctant to do so. We're talking with Robert Peterson, son of Young Yu, who was killed on March 16th, 2021. I want to bring into the conversation TTU, director of the documentary Rising Against Asian Hate, one day in March. TT, thanks so much for being with us. We heard Robert talking about um, just the broader impact of this day on the Asian American community, not just on his family. That played a role, right? That's why you decided to focus on this particular day. You see it as a major inflection point for Asian Americans? Yes, absolutely. I think March 16th was um, a wake-up call for the Asian American community. Um, but, but the story really starts before uh, March 16th. Um, um, you know, we started this story sort of um, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, but as we know, um, um, violence against Asian Americans go back a long, long, long time, way before the pandemic, way before uh, March 16th. But um, for us, you know, we saw March 16th as really um, a unique moment for the community to to come together and 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 address some of these issues. When you say wake up call, one of the things that your documentary does is it really spotlights the attitude of the media. I heard Robert saying earlier that you know it it took him some time to trust the media, the attitude of the media in humanizing and focusing on the killer more than on the victims themselves, but also, of course, the attitude of some law enforcement, um, especially police officers uh, and sheriff's deputies in Cherokee County. Can you talk a little bit about why that was so striking to you and why you made sure to include that in this film? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, um, in Atlanta, uh, uh, after the March 16th shooting, um, a lot of the media narrative, a lot of the police uh, officers um, sort of immediately gravitated towards uh, where these women were working, and that was um, in these spas. And because they worked in these spas, there was all these uh, 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 stereotypes about, you know, who they were and why they came to this country. So a lot of the narrative uh, you know, about them being sex workers or being uh, women who were trafficked. Um, but in reality, you know, as Bobby said, these women were moms and grandmothers and aunts. And so um, I think it was easy um, for uh, a lot of officials to kind of just gravitate towards stereotypes about Asian Americans. And this is not just, um, it didn't just happen in Atlanta, as we saw, this also happened in San Francisco. So this is not a, a partisan um, issue, that this is something that uh, law enforcement really had, um, uh, you know, that we really, really wanted law enforcement to take a hard look at um, um, the kind of uh, neglect that they've, uh, that, you know, that they've not uh, uh, taken a lot of these uh, hate crimes in the Asian American community seriously. Yes, you had the clip of that particularly jarring moment when the Cherokee County Sheriff's spokesperson at a press conference basically um, stated the motivations of the killer and the killer's own justification of 
his actions. Let's hear a little bit of that. The suspect did uh, take responsibility for the shootings. He, he understood the gravity of it, and he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope, and, um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. Robert, can I ask how hearing that affected you? Um, it, it affected me tremendously. Uh, it angered me at the moment. Um, it frustrated me because this is the same system that I'm asking to protect me and my family. This is the same system that I have to lean on to hope that they will provide justice for me and the other victims. What? Uh, but at that time, they were providing justification, rationale for an offender. Um, where everyone else was 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 speaking about this being an Asian hate crime, or Asians were coming out talking about how this uh, instilled fear in our community, and this impacted how we wanted to move around that day and the next. Um, law enforcement and people in the criminal justice system were inept at understanding our cultural sensitivities. Um, they lacked the language necessary to communicate with those in our communities, to identify those in our families, um, to let them know this was happening to us. And so it's an irony that we have to trust this same system and this is the response that we get. And it was only until the backlash that this person was removed from being forward facing about this case. And again, that is Cherokee County in uh, Fulton County where my mother was killed. Again, more than 35, 40 minutes away from the original um, site of the original murder, we have an African-American female as the district attorney. And so I'm not suggesting that that may have played a role, but having representation and having diversity in uh, positions of power affects how they're being treated. We'll have more after the break. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've lost eight community members, right? Six Asian American community members. During a time where Asian Americans were being targeted, that just really makes you think. There's a clip from the new documentary, Rising Against Asian Hate, one day in March. It premiered last night on PBS and is now streaming on PBS.org and on YouTube. And uh, we're joined by its director, TTU, and by Robert Peterson, son of one of the victims, young A.U., who was killed in Fulton County in Atlanta. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What are your thoughts or reactions to what you are hearing from our guests? Did you see this as an inflection point and take action in response 
to the rise in anti-Asian violence? Did you see March 16th and the Atlanta murders as an inflection point, as TTU has described? Do you still feel targeted by anti-Asian hate. You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or you can always call us, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. All right, Peterson, just before the break, you were talking about how the prosecutors and uh, the officials in Fulton County are handling the case, the the killings there differently. Can you talk a little bit about that the and the status of your fight for justice? Uh, absolutely. So again, um, quickly, there, there basically, uh, there were four murders in Cherokee County. Cherokee County is about 40 minutes away from um, the Atlanta location where the perpetrator uh, entered a spa killing three more Asian women and then having to cross the street. My mother was the eighth and last victim um, and she was killed immediately at the front door of her establishment. And at that point he had left and it, um, and, and, and so in, in Cherokee County, the case is over. He pled guilty. He's going to be sentenced to, uh, four life sentences, et cetera. But in Fulton County, we're different because we are not only pursuing a regular trial, uh, the district attorney and the families agreed that they want to go for the hate crime enhancement as well as pursue the death penalty. And so uh, right now we're in a state of continuance. They're still doing um, investigations or discovery, whatnot. But we will in Atlanta at this point have not taken a plea and they plan to pursue the death penalty as well as the hate crime enhancement. Right. And so, Robert, the hate crime enhancement, can you... You talk about how that is something that uh, the DA wanted to pursue. Is that something that would also feel like justice to you, too, if this was declared a hate crime? Uh, to, to me, uh, personally, and speaking only for Robert, that is probably the most important part of this whole case. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of capital punishment, as again, I am a black and Korean man and I know how the criminal justice system has been used disproportionately against people that look like me. Uh, so I'm not necessarily a fan of that. And again, my mother and the seven other victims are deceased at this point, they're not coming back. But what I want people to know is the reason why they're not here with me and being able to talk to you is because one lone gunman got access to a weapon that morning and killed eight people, six of them being Asian women. And so for me, it's very important that we identify this as a race and gender-based violent hate crime so that those in our community feel like the justice system sees us and fights for us. I don't know if we'll win or not, but the process and the speaking out and the advocating for our community is really what we want. TTU, while you focused on Atlanta, you felt it was really important uh, to also not only show the long uh, history of, of anti-Asian racism in this country, but also the deadly violence that led up to it just months before. Um, and for the Bay Area, of course, that that there is a violent attack that killed an elderly Asian man named Vicha Ratanapakti um, in San Francisco. It was one of the first videos that went viral. Why was it important for you to include that? Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, for me, I wanted to 
Uh, one of the things that I wanted to convey through this documentary is what it felt like to be Asian American living through this pandemic. So, uh, you know, for a lot of us in the Asian American community, we started seeing these videos of very of these vicious attacks against um, the elderly and women, the most vulnerable in our community. And a lot of these videos were coming through on our social media, our friends were texting um, about it, um, you know, and it was something that, you know, um, only Asian American, we were exchanging this, you know, amongst Asian Americans. And it wasn't until, um, um, you know, Grandpa Vicha's, uh, um, death that this really, really made an impact outside of um, the Asian American community. But um, I want to point out that at the same time that we were seeing these videos coming through, we were also hearing elected officials and former presidents, you know, making these, you know, this pandemic into, um, you know, scapegoating Asian Americans and really, um, you know, you know, using all this very racialized uh, rhetoric to uh, blame Asian Americans for this pandemic. So I wanted to make sure that people understand that these two things were happening at the same time. And those of us in the Asian American community were seeing this on the, on the ground. And it was very clear to us the, 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 the connection between the two. And I want to bring into the conversation now Vicha Ratanapakti's daughter, Montanas Ratanapakti. Montanas, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah. Montanus, for many of us, Vicha is the man we see in the video, but can you tell us more about who your dad was? Yeah, my father was one of the, the only people in the village who spoke English well. And he and my American value of the equality and equal rights. And he encouraged me to study in the United States. My father came from Thailand to care for my sons, and he was a gentleman, family man, and he was a lovely grandpa. And he taught my son about the respect and kindness. He loved to walk around the city with my son, with grandson, yeah. Yeah. Um, you have made it so hard to grieve um, the incredible loss of a parent, but in your case, the circumstances within which you lost him, the broader social issues that TT was just pointing out. I just wonder what that's been like for you, how that has affected your ability to grieve for your dad. Yeah, I, I miss him every day. And, you know, his memory is still in the house, you know. And this is hard for me. What? Yeah, yeah. No, no, please finish your thought if you'd like. Yeah, then we have young child, you know, then that video is making us, we have a hard time in our life, you know, and, and my family feel um, condolence to Robert, you know, he, he lost his mom and then we feel the same way, how we lost my father and then my son lost his grandfather, yes. Can I ask you how you made the decision to speak publicly about his death, to be very public about it and its impact? First of all, I'm, I feel scared, you know, I, I cannot do anything, I hide, hiding myself in the house, you know. I remember when I attending my first Larry, I feel scared. But when I arrived, I saw hundreds of the people 
come to support the victims. And I met with the Asian American communities leaders and with the black leaders communities. Then I remember on March 16, 2021, I received a phone call from the journalism. And she asked me and she told me that six Asian women were shot and killed in Atlanta. My life was changed at that time, that moment. Since then, I have dedicated my life to support the AAPI community. I feel like um, I have to raise awareness about the anti-Asian hate. I have two young sons. The younger generation should know that there is a justice and then I want them to live without discriminate, no discrimination and no violence. What would justice look like to you? What would it be for your dad, for you to feel like your dad has justice, you have justice, your family doesn't have to be afraid? We've been waiting for so long, almost two years now. I want my father dead not to be in vain, you know. And my father's memory is a symbol of the Asian American fight for equal protection and equal rights. We're waiting for the justice for my father. And these are the American Walu that my father admired. Well, I understand Charles Jung has been helping you with your father's case. And, and Charles Jung is with us now, Executive Director of the California Asian Pacific American Bar Association. Charles, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Mina. Can you talk about the status of Vicha's case with us and why, as as Montanus has been saying, Montanus has been saying, it's been hard and long in terms of trying to find some sense of progress on this? Um, well, uh uh, you know, I, I help Monthanis with respect to her community work, uh, but uh, on the, you know, what I know of the criminal side is that the defendant, Antoine Watson, has waived time. Uh, so in other words, waived his constitutional right to a speedy trial. Um, and, um, you know, the prosecutor, uh, to uh, make sure that uh, this process is fair, uh, it, you know, is accommodating, as is the court. So a uh, process is being followed. And do you think that the way that the process is playing out is fairly typical? I I would not say it's typical. Uh, you know, I, I you know, without speaking about this particular case, um, you know, where a case is in the the public eye, uh, you know, from a defense attorney's perspective, one might try to delay a case uh, to uh, have you know, kind of uh, public interest. Uh, diminish and die down. And, uh, you know, without speculating, you know, that that is a strategy that defense attorneys employ. One of the things I did want to ask you about was um, a comment that was made in the documentary by B.J. Pak. Listeners may know Pak from his testimony on January, at the January 6th um, attack on the Capitol, those hearings that took place. But he talks about how it is difficult well, it's very difficult just generally, the legal system and the legal process in the wake of attacks, killings, and murders like these. But he also talks about the difficulty in trying to get them prosecuted as hate crimes. So I'd like to play a little bit of that now and get your response, Charles. 
The shootings in Atlanta reveal that prosecuting hate crimes aimed at Asian Americans presents unique challenges compared to other targeted groups. We had a lot of instances where there were nooses found in the workplace. We know what that means. It was geared towards intimidating black workers. In the Jewish community, there is the Nazi symbol. But towards Asian American community, we don't have one symbol or multiple symbols that, that really solidify the ideology against Asian Americans. Do you agree with that, Charles? Um, I, I do. Uh, you know, hate crimes are so difficult to prosecute uh, because they're one of the few crimes where you need to prove a substantial uh, bias motivation. And people, uh, you know, rarely is it nowadays that people will use the N-word or the C-word when attacking somebody. And most of these crimes are property crimes, not violent crimes. And often you don't find a perpetrator to begin with. But yes, there is the difficulty of that symbolism. Uh, you know, the you, you might recall the case of um, uh, Esther Lee uh, in New York, uh, where she was riding home on uh, you know, uh, from Manhattan, and uh, you know, man approached her, accosted her, didn't like the response he got, and then uh, spit on her two times, and uh, in doing so, called her a carrier, a carrier. And the NYPD refused to investigate that as a hate crime because the uh, the the perpetrator didn't use the word Chinese carrier or Asian carrier, showing a complete lack of cultural awareness and context. And, uh, you know, paired with the difficulty of proving a substantial bias motivation, uh, these crimes are often underreported uh, by victims, underreported and underinvestigated by police, uh, and underprosecuted. Do you think more reporting by victims would, would help show those kinds of patterns, um, that kind of language? Do you think the lack of reporting, as I think was suggested in the documentary, has played a role in this inability to kind of see um, a, a more clear ideology or a, a clear character <laughs> shape of racism against Asians? Yeah, yes, for sure. Uh, there needs to be more reporting so that, you know, there's uh, general awareness, resources can uh, be devoted to uh, this problem. Uh, but, uh, you know, even once the reporting is done, then the job shifts to law enforcement, and they have to do their job. Uh, and that includes properly investigating it, asking the right questions, and having, uh, you know, awareness of the historical moment, uh, and understanding the types of discrimination and how they manifest with respect to minority groups like Asian Americans. David writes, and again, you can share your thoughts or responses to what you're hearing on today's show by posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or by emailing forum at kqed.org. David writes, sadly, we are now in an era where blatant and explicit racist behaviors are the norm, not the exception. These tragic murders, as well as hundreds of unprovoked assaults on Asian Americans throughout the country, including where I am in San Francisco, where the latest was a few weeks ago, are a frightening reminder that the norms of our country have been eviscerated. We must all now live in fear and concern for ourselves and for our neighbors. And Alex writes, my wife is Japanese and I'm Latino. Living on the West Coast, there has always been a scent of anti-Asian sentiment. After this shooting, I have not let my guard down about any potential harm that can come to her. She feels that it's not that bad. 
I prefer that she keep that attitude and I will take on the role of a lookout. Sadly, Charles, my understanding too is that as you advocate for the Asian American community, your parents have also been the target of attacks, anti-Asian attacks. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So, you know, my parents, uh, you know, they left the United States and went to Korea during the pandemic because they just didn't feel at ease. They didn't feel welcome when the pandemic broke out. And when they returned uh, last year, uh, after about a year, you know, for the first time that they visited left our home and visited uh, Union Square, uh, you know, they were attacked uh, two times by the same person. Uh, you know, my dad is 84 years old. He walks with a cane and uh, this man said something. My dad is hard of hearing, wasn't wearing his hearing aids and was kicked so hard he was almost knocked off his cane. And they ran away and encountered it again in Union Square where um, the, this man threw a, a metal construction sign at his head. I'm so sorry, Charles. Um, we're talking with Charles Jung, Executive Director of the California Asian American Bar Association. Also with us is Montanas Ratanapakti, daughter of Vicha Ratanapakti, who was fatally assaulted in San Francisco on January 28th, 2021. Also, Robert Peterson is with us, son of Young AU, who was killed in the Atlanta spa shootings on March 16th, 2021. TTU is the director of a new documentary that talks about their stories. Um, the documentary is titled Rising Against Asian Hate, One Day in March. It's streaming now on pbs.org. We'll have more with all four of them and with you, our listeners, after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. People tend to underestimate the amount of psychological toll a trial takes. The longer the case goes on, the more emotional toll that it takes on everyone involved, and it wears people down. That's a clip from Rising Against Asian Hate One Day in March. That's the voice of BJ Peck, who is talking about the emotional toll of trying to get justice, especially in the wake of racially motivated hate crimes. And in the case of 
the attacks that we're talking about today that this documentary covers. It is murders. Robert Pearson is the son of Yun Ayu, Young Ayu, who was killed in the Atlanta spa shootings on March 16th. Montanus Ratanapakti is the daughter of Vicha Ratanapakti, who was fatally assaulted in San Francisco on January 28th, all last year. TTU is with us, who directed the documentary, and also Charles Jung, executive director of the California Asian Pacific American Bar Association. You, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts and reflections. Let me go to caller Erica in Santa Cruz. Hi, Erica. Join us. Hi. Thank you so much for this program and to all of the guests to be willing to share their trauma. And I'm white. I live in a place that considers ourselves tolerant. And after the killings in Atlanta, I went to a demonstration where person after person of Asian um, descent spoke about the hatred directed at them in this community. And it was really appalling that I felt overwhelmed by the number of events that happened that we never hear about. And, you know, as far as policing and governance, it seems to me that going after hatred in communities should be a main goal at, to uncover it and deal with it and get rid of it because it's so toxic. So thank you for the show. I really appreciate it and keep on. Well, Erica, thanks for your comment. Uh, Titi, you, you did have to absorb so much of that as you were combing through material for this documentary, wondering what that was like for you and, and if you have any thoughts on what Erica said. Yeah, thank you for that for that question. I mean, you know, I think you, you, you know, hit it right on the head. It was very, very difficult for um, my team um, and I to go through this, you know, just just hours of hours of these videos um, that that most of us have forgotten now. Um, you know, I just going through some of the um, earlier incidents that I, I had even forgotten um, um, because there are just so many and it's 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 been hard to sort of keep track of them. Um, and, you know, we also um, um, our entire crew of uh, production team is almost all Asian women. Um, and so I think for all of us, this story was very, very personal. Um, and, um, and I know that it took a lot for, um, you know, all of my team members to, to um, work on this project through, through this time. There's this perception that the wave of anti-Asian sentiment and attacks that it has sort of crested, um, and and I'm wondering if you think that's true, Titi. Um, I, I yeah, I, I know that it's certainly disappeared from a lot of the mainstream media reporting, but um, you know, just last month, uh, the Asian American Foundation came out with a new report that says that more people, more Americans, blame Asian Americans. Uh, uh, for the pandemic now than they did back at the height of the pandemic. So that's something also we don't hear about anymore that actually more Americans um, um, now incorrectly blame Asian Americans for the pandemic. Uh, Montanus, when you hear that, I'm curious, you've talked about the process of grieving and being public about your father's death playing a role in helping. But I wonder if 
you still feel, I don't know, either fearful for yourself or, or even your mother, who you've also talked about as well. You worry about her vulnerability too. Yeah, I have my mother, 70 years old. You know, um, basic right for the public city, right? You know, I think is um, everyone should be safety to walk on the street, you know, that that's, she still feels scared to walk on the street, you know. She still feels afraid to walk yeah. on the street. Yeah, on the street, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, people, everyone should be not feel fear to walk on the street. And we are a human right, you know, everyone should be not feel fear to walk on the street. And then our country should, must do something, yes. Well, Minha, um, I mean, like, um, our community must stand together against hate, and then I feel like, um, when one community hurts another communities in our community, it hurts all the other communities, and then I feel like Asian Americans are Americans, and we deserve equal right too. We should not blame our, we should not blame Asian Americans for the pandemics. Yeah, this is my feeling. Yeah. Well, this listener Minha writes, one efficient and hopefully effective way to combat violence against Asians is to have more video surveillance in public areas. Since this can't be done easily by cities, how about encouraging businesses and homeowners to do it? The more offenders realize they will be caught for their crimes, hopefully the less crime will happen. This wouldn't be the only way to combat Asian hate. It needs to be multi-pronged with education against hate crimes and other tactics. Matanis, do you feel that way? Do you think more video surveillance in public areas would be helpful in combating Asian hate? Would that be something that would feel right to you? Yeah, I agree because we need we need more um, video because at that my kids, my fire, my father is a high profile. He's the only one that um, we can see the video. After I saw the video, is I have painful. I I never want my family to see the video. And then I remember when the farmer, the SFDA said about the ten, temper tantrum. I remember when I heard that I was, it was so painful for me. My body went numb. After I heard about the hearing, the evidence, you know, at the primary hearings, after the suspect pushed my father and then I saw him celebrate on the video, then he walked away. He returned to my father and my father's eyes were open and he was breathing. And then Mr. Wesson, the suspect, looked down on my father. He never held, he never called the ambulance and he watched my father die. This is what not the temper tantrum. I think the, the surveillance the video is uh, good for the public safety for the, our communities. You're talking about um, you're talking about the way that then DHA Sabudin characterized characterized the action as a temper tantrum and the effect that that that, that had on you. That's what you're referring oh, to, kids. right? Yeah, Montana. Oh, my kids. All right. Yeah. You know, it's so, it really underscores, I think, Titi, you were talking about a new reporting or more recent reporting that shows that more people blame Asian Americans for for COVID than they did even a year ago, that they, they blame them more now. But I think the other 
report that recently came out was also just the way that rhetoric by public officials plays such a role in in characterizing and oftentimes dehumanizing Asian Americans as victims as well or downplaying the humanity of Asian Americans as victims. Can you talk a little bit about, I think you're familiar with that AAPI hate study that just came out. Could you talk a little bit about how you see that connected to what you learned as you were doing your documentary? Um, yes, the uh, Stop, A, uh, Stop AAPI Hate uh, came out with a new report that uh, basically found a correlation between um, um, political uh, 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 a political rhetoric that scapegoats Asian Americans for um, you know whether for the pandemic nowadays it's for um, you know uh, uh, China is now certainly on the on everybody's radar so there's a lot of uh, fear mongering uh, uh, against Chinese Americans uh, when it comes to espionage or whatnot and I think what this report talks about and this is something that we actually tracked in our film as well is that there's an almost um, 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 a, uh, almost an exact parallel correlation when um, political officials uh, repeat some some you know a certain kind of racialized rhetoric and then and then um, and then hate crimes being uh, uh, you know these kind of microaggression hate crimes being reported to the police and 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 people are seeing that um, that they're actually repeating the the rhetoric of a lot of the officials. And so you'll see, you know, um, incidents, um, this report talked about incidents where, um, you know, there was a, a, a you know, um, at a at an Asian owned store where uh, somebody came in and accused uh, the, the owners of being, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, of being, uh, 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 you know, being responsible for, for, for the pandemic and for COVID. So there's a lot of uh, correlation between what we hear from um, elected officials and, and some of the um, hate rhetoric being spewed on the streets. Political officials, Charles Jung, have been talking about with the midterms now, with a presidential election and the campaigning for that about to start. And as we know, uh, Ex-President Trump has been attributed with a lot of comments that have inflamed anti-Asian sentiment with his China virus and so so, so on, all that rhetoric as well. Do you worry about the political season basically laying the foundation for inflaming what T.T. Uh, was saying is existing and still, um, still strong anti-Asian sentiment? Uh, I do. And, uh, you know, while uh, President Trump's words and, you know, I'll just say the president himself were repugnant, uh, you know, uh, this uh, this rise in anti-Asian sentiment exists outside of that his words as well. And, you know, I think that's mirrored by the the statistics that TT cited. Uh, and but yeah, it's actually both parties, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but, uh, you know, President Biden, you know, then ca- candidate Biden, you know, uh, you know, had some very strong anti-China rhetoric. 
Uh, and uh, even though uh, I'm not Chinese, we're all Chinese in that moment, uh, you know, and, you know, there's not a distinction made between, you know, the the oppressive uh, and acts of a authoritarian government, the CCP versus the people. So there's kind of a way in which politicians uh, demonize both or, you know, kind of blame both with a broad brush. And then uh, history shows that we all bear the the consequence of that so you know what i'm worried more than what some politician will say for political gain is what happens in that you know non-zero chance where there is a hot conflict between the united states and some asian country let's say china and uh, what happens in that moment i mean we're not that far away from uh, 9-11, and uh, we saw the erosion of civil rights uh, that impacted not just uh, Muslim Americans, but, uh, you know, South Asians, anyone with brown skin, sick Americans, anyone mistaken to be uh, Muslim, and, the, you know, the attacks rose th at that time, too, where that's just 20 years ago. Yeah, there is a uh, uh, quote from Representative Judy Chu, a California representative who touches on this. Representative Chu says, in our country's history, we've seen how the rhetoric used about our communities, not just in relation to COVID-19, but also around economic competition with Asian countries results in the harm and even murder of Asian Americans here at home. She goes on to say, when the Chinese government acts against our interests or values, we can and must speak out, but we need to be deliberate in what and who we criticize. It should be specific to those who are responsible. We are talking with Charles Jung, Robert Peterson, TTU, and Montanus Ratanapakti, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Leanne writes, hate crime should be a priority for law enforcement. However, we need to start with the acute and largely well-hidden well racism in the ranks of the police force itself. Andrea writes, I'm sorry for the dreadful attacks. I'm hoping we as a society can come together to make them stop. I'm reminded of the civil rights violations that happened prior to the civil rights movement. What had to be done in that case was to call in federal law enforcement and federal prosecutors to override crooked local prosecutors and police who refused to investigate or prosecute. Is there any chance that this strategy can be used here? Robert, I'm curious. Well, you can answer Andrea's question about whether or not you think that would be an effective strategy. But I, I do want to know... We had the earlier comment, too, about more surveillance. I do just want to know how practically you would like to see justice done around these kinds of things, and if those are the types of strategies that you would like to see. Uh, thank you again. Uh, well, my background is in medical sociology, so I have studied uh, society and how it operates. And so for me, uh, no, I don't think we need to lean further into law enforcement and the criminal justice system to respond to hate crimes. Um, that is, again, leaning too much on criminality or law enforcement. The increase of police does not necessarily um, correlate to reduction of crime. Also, those are more likely uh, to arrest and surveil our own communities. And so um, I think there's other things that we can do to help victims of hate crimes, whether that's teaching more about our history. We see throughout several states, they're removing discussions of race and history. We can learn about the Chinese Exclusion Act. We can learn about Japanese internment camps. We can learn about our history um, in dealing with race and ethnic relations. We can invest in these same communities. Um, many of these victims as Rupati has said, uh, I haven't stepped out of the house in a while. 
I need to get back into the labor market. Some of these people lost their primary breadwinner. And so what does that mean for those that are lacking health insurance, that are lacking um, high paying jobs or education for their children? And so as we do this and, and uplift the community as a whole, that will eventually uh, reduce crime. That, and we know this. We know that the answer to crime is not arresting more people or putting people in jail. In America, we put more people in jail than anywhere else in the world. Um, so we have to be mindful of that. And again, surveillance works, but it's it's reactionary. The violent crime has already taken place. And so what we want to do is work on the preventive end and see how we can protect and prevent these things from happening. Or when they do happen, as Charles said, that they know how to, the actors in the criminal justice system or politicians know how to uh, respond, know how to investigate, know how to do this all with cultural awareness and cultural sensitivity. And that, that, that also leads to representation in these same departments. Robert, you have talked about how your mother's death has actually brought you closer to the Asian community in Atlanta. Can you talk about how and, and why it ended up having that effect? Why you did not feel as connected to it before? Well, I'll, I'll be careful to say it's not that I did not feel a connection. Again, my mother was very adamant that we were Black and Korean. Um, my mother knew that. My father knew that. Again, as a, as a Black and Korean man, I grew up with that. I grew up with navigating both of those spaces, right? Um, being in Black spaces, uh, being questioned about my Blackness. You're Black, but you have something else in you or being in Asian spaces and saying, yeah, I see the eyes, I see the hair, but you have something else in you. So again, I've always grown up with the intersection of my race and ethnicity being brought to the forefront. But in this moment, um, this was my time to speak up on behalf of my Korean side and my mother. Again, prior to, I was already marching and advocating for Black Lives Matter because we seen what was happening to Black men in law enforcement. And so that was a, a avenue to get out there and speak on what was happening in our community. But when this happened, and this happened to my own mother. Um, and knowing what my mother would do, my mother didn't want me to go out there and march for Black Lives Matter. Not that she didn't agree in the cause, but she was a mother concerned about her Black child being in the midst of chaos, being on the front lines of violence. And so she wouldn't want that. And I would suggest that if she was living today and here, uh, she would want me to be the Korean son. Put your head down, go to work, things will get better. Somebody else will fix it. But I am Black and Korean, and I am my mother's child, so she knows that I'm going to speak up. And we're grateful to you. Thank you all. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.